we all within us have the answer. That answer gets drowned out every single day by society and by our own heads, which tell us it's wrong. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. No matter what you do or where you are in your life right now, I'm pretty sure you've heard the word no more than once. And some of those no's might make you feel like you don't want to get out of bed. This podcast is here to tell you, you're not alone. If all these people can walk through the valley of no's to get to their yes, why can't you? Welcome back to 10,000 No's for part two of Melissa Bernstein, co-founder and CEO of the incredibly successful toy company, Melissa and Doug. For those of you who listened to part one last week, you already know that Melissa was interested in talking about so much more than just the rise and success of her company. We spoke about her depression, the fact that she's kept her innermost fears and secrets for many people who are very close to her. We spoke about the fact that she's been writing poetry and songs since she was a little girl. Of course, I couldn't help myself from pushing her to publish all of those songs and poems for the rest of the world to experience. And... We started to get into the story of Melissa feeling the urge to reach out to the host of a very popular podcast that she had been listening to for a long time because she wanted to share her story in a very public way. Now, I'm going to wind it back a few minutes to the top of that section for those of you who didn't get a chance to hear part one, though I do think you should consider stopping this now and going back to that first part. But if you don't, what you're about to hear is what happened when Melissa took a big leap and exposed herself. Did it help or did it destroy her? You'll have to listen to find out. Melissa Bernstein. I listened to a bunch of podcasts and it was actually a podcast that when I was about 48, I listened to. And the uh, host of the podcast used to talk about some of his favorite books. And he mentioned a book by Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. So just by coincidence, because uh, I decided he had mentioned it so many times that I would read this book. So it, it wasn't so much the book itself that sort of started this uh, ball rolling, but it was something he mentioned in at the end of the book. He he talked about how at, at the end of his, uh, his, his whole experience, he started to research more of this, I think it's called logotherapy, which studied existentialism. And in, again, I've been a writer my whole life. I never once heard the word existentialism. So I was curious and I decided to look it up. And when I looked it up, I literally felt my heart stop beating because what it talked about was basically what I had experienced my entire life. And suddenly I realized, oh my gosh, I suffer from this existential angst, this and existential depression. Anyway, I suddenly had this epiphany that, oh my gosh, I am not actually the only person who feels this way, but there are others who feel this way. There's actually a word, you know, for it. Yeah. And then that set me on this path of looking at people who suffered from existential angst, which, by the way, were some of the world's most prolific creators, who, many of whom killed themselves, mm -hmm. unfortunately, at very young ages. But that also people who suffered with existential angst also had some other 
uh, highly sensitive traits to their personality that made them much more excitable and sensitive to the world than others. And of course, I saw, gee, not surprisingly, I also had all these other uh, excitabilities in my personality, which made the way I experienced the world and people and thought about things very different than most, you know, still the same as many, but, but different than most. So I suddenly thought, oh my gosh, I need to be on this podcast because I think I have something to share. Now, you have to realize I am the most introverted, creative, deeply repressed person that you would ever meet. So to go on a podcast and talk about this before I've ever even exposed it to my family or anyone, even myself, was like the most ludicrous thought I had ever had. But I was like, oh my gosh, I have to go on this guy's podcast. I've never met this person. I've been listening to his podcast for years. I've got to go talk about this to the world. And I don't know why I did it, but I decided to write him a letter. And it was completely out of the blue. It was like, hi, you know, basically <laughs> I've suffered with this. And I really uh, think, you know, it, it might resonate well with your audience because I've been listening to you and I feel like the people you have on it and what you talk about is, is similar to some of the feelings I have. Anyway, um, it turns out he responded and I ended up meeting with him and he was like, great. Yes. I think this is something that my listeners would really love to hear. So I ended up uh, going on the podcast, which in one sense, and I write about this in my book now because I'm, I'm in the middle of writing this book, was the worst venue I could have ever had to go through this emotional coming out for the very first time. Yeah. Because one, you don't see, you don't have an audience. There's no one you're connecting with. You can't look at someone and see that you're impacting them. And two, his podcast is so far, he's so far scheduled out in advance that after I did it, it wasn't going to air for over five months. Wow. So here I was like talking about these things and, and exposing myself in a way I had never, ever imagined for the first time in the world and getting no validation whatsoever. Um, so I did it and then I, for, and it was so difficult for me. I literally got sick to my stomach before I did it. I was so scared and so churning about whether this was the right thing to do, uh, you know, because I do have a persona and uh, a board of directors and, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're out there. Like, do I want to pierce the bubble of, you know, who Melissa is in this but it didn't matter. I was actually well past it. I was like, yeah. I'm doing it. I'm going for it. Yeah. Um, and then I actually forgot the podcast was even going to air because I was afterward, I was like, oh my gosh, it was horrible. I can't believe I even did that. What is wrong with you? Like you obviously had a burst of mania. And <laughs> like, I think you, I, I think I was, I thought it was terrible. I was like, just a mess. Um, so I repressed it really deeply. Anyway, 
This is this is to get to, this is to answer your question. Oh, I'm loving it. Don't don't so apologize. I love it. Don't it's qualify. Like, I'm loving so this. Go. Five months goes by in a new year. I I re- I recorded it in October. It wasn't airing until the end of March. So we're talking in my lifetime. You know, six children, a ton of stuff going on in the business. Like that was a a new lifetime. I forgot it was even airing. I didn't tell a soul. I never even told anyone other than my husband I was even doing this because, you know, I'm so, uh, I am so fearful of failing, even though I do it every day. Uh, but I'm still, and, and, and this was, if I was rejected for this, there would be no greater rejection. You know, this was literally exposing my entire soul to a, bunch of people, I guess, who seemingly <laughs> anyway, it, it airs. I don't even know it aired. And then suddenly out of the blue, like gifts from God, jewels raining down, I start to get letters. Now you have to realize I didn't give out my address in this podcast. Somewhere in the notes, maybe it was mentioned that, you know, we, and, and I talked about the fact that we had a, a, a toy company, um, but these were people who were going, I guess, onto our website and sort of finding the owner's contact information and send me the, sending them to me. But basically within a very short period, I received hundreds, and I mean hundreds of letters. And these weren't just letters. These were like the most meaningful words I had ever heard in my life, basically thanking me for having the courage to do what I did and telling me that they also suffered with exactly the same things I suffered. And I was the first person who gave a voice to everything they were going through as well. And that um, they had found a connection in me that they had been so seeking in their lives. So I decided that I would personally respond to every one of those letters and tell every single person that I wanted to speak to them as well. Because I wasn't stopping. I was like, for the first time ever, I felt like, oh my gosh, I had actually come out as I truly was. It was literally like a coming out of the closet in a way that I had never, ever imagined I would do. And I had others waiting for me when I opened the door with open arms. They were like, yes, I, I hear you and I feel you and I, I get it. I am the same way. And they were smart. Like they were mostly women, but they were just smart, soulful. Like the people I've been seeking my entire life and could never find. And, you know, the reason I could never find them was the truth was I was going out as a different person. You were hiding never, from them. You I were was hiding, hiding from, from them. them. And to yeah. be honest, when those people came to me, which I now see they did my entire life, I ran from them because I didn't want to see the despair. So, you know, I was running very fast away from them, but suddenly they had, uh, they had come to me, I would say. So I responded to every single one of them. And in every letter I said, uh, you know, and, and, and I'll, I did write a poem about this, actually. I, I wrote, 
I've been searching for my people, yet they're nowhere to be found, off sequestered in the darkness, too repressed to make a sound, ever fearful that connection ushers hurt, mistrust, and lies, hence I'm pressing forward solo, still alone, despite my cries. So my whole life, I was like looking for these people, but I couldn't find them because most of them were hiding in the darkness, where I was too, or, uh, or I just couldn't see their pain. Maybe I was too, yeah, the facade was too great. Anyway, I wrote them all letters and some of them I reached out. I said, please, I'd like to speak with you. Let's talk further. Some didn't, you know, didn't respond. It was probably too much to get a letter right back from me. Um, But many said, oh my gosh, I'm really scared. But if you really want to talk to me, great. And I, I have had to date about maybe 50 conversations with people from all over the world. I mean, some from Australia and some from Canada and all over. And some of them, and one of the ones is the woman who connected us. She's someone I met through the podcast and who wrote to me after the podcast. Um, And that's why the dots have connected. And those relationships have been the most profound of my life. Because the truth is, I never really had a friend, you know, my, my entire life who saw me for who I was. And suddenly I had, you know, scores of women. You had an army of friends. An army and a legion of people who were like, I hear you, baby. I feel you. And I'm marching lockstep with you. Um, And suddenly I, you know, had this connection from isolation that was like almost too much to bear. It was, it was just like, is this really happening? Am I really now doing something completely different? I mean, my day job is, you know, I make toys. Um, and now I'm like forging these relationships with these women who suffer from this despair. It's like, wait, are you the same person? You know, I'm sitting at my desk being creative uh, visionary. And a second later, I'm in my corner office, like talking with these women who want to kill themselves. So, um, it, it was, it was quite an irony, Oh my God! Um, but, but, uh, but it's been incredible. And some of them have, uh, it's been extraordinary that, you know, many of them, I think the biggest commonality was similar to me they feel like in the society in which they live and the lives in which they live, they cannot show anyone who they truly are. Yeah. I I, got to tell you, I'm so grateful that we are doing this interview remotely because as I've heard recurring feedback from family and friends is that I talk too much and interrupt my guests too much. And I'm, I'm so, I'm jumping out of my skin as I'm you're sorry. talking. Cause I'm, and so, I never no, talking. I no, feel like no, I'm no, talking no, way no, no, this, no, this is what I'm saying. I'm loving that I am cut off because I'm like, I can't interrupt her, <laughs> but I just want to tell you, I'm so excited by what you're saying because it, it it's so important for people to that are listening to hear this. It's that thing that you fear the most is the thing you need to do. And I had an acting teacher, one of my first acting teachers in New York, Terry Schreiber, used to say, the roles that you don't want to play 
the roles that you're scared to take on, those are the ones that you need to go play because there's something locked up within you that's resisting and all that energy that you're spending resisting it. If you break down, break the dam, you're going to have a flood of energy going toward that. I love that. That's one of the best things I've ever heard. Oh, cool. Yeah. He, he always said that. And it, and it's, it's what you're talking about. And and I relate to it because of the podcast. I mean, you're just saying like, oh my God, am I schizophrenic? I've got this, I'm this, I'm running this company and now I'm going to be, you know, dealing with all these people that are, are in some kind of trauma and what, and I'm like their leader. What are we talking about? But that's, what's happened with me, with the podcast. I, I am, am almost done with this, this comedy I'm working on uh, for Netflix, which I am absolutely loving. I mean, it's been an incredible experience. Wow. And yet, I so I know I have to go to France and finish it, and then I'm done in the end of August. And then, you know, I don't know what my next job is, and which is always a period of despair for me. When I come to the end of a job, I go, I don't know what's next. And I'm, and I'm in total, you know, it's like pre-depression <laughs> knowing like, I got to mm-hmm. go get the next job. But this time, I'm, I have all, because I know that I have a gap, I will have a built-in gap unless something happens between now and early September. I have scheduled all of these interviews for September and I'm so excited about all the interviews. And all of a sudden I'm like, wait a second, I'm, I'm not even thinking about my acting career because I'm like, oh, I have free time to go do stuff for the podcast, which is literally just a labor of love. I mean, I, this is this is not even a a, a a profitable business at this point. This is just me doing it because I'm loving it. And and right. so I relate to you. It's it's like you've found a deeper purpose or calling that's related to your company, but yeah. different. And well, why here, do we limit the, ourselves? And here's the other thing too, that I always felt that unless you were there, you couldn't advise people because you hadn't, you know, succeeded because I'm, I haven't succeeded. I'm in the throes of it. I mean, some days I want to end it all. And other days I'm, you know, soaring off the mountaintops. Like it just depends on the day. And I always thought that that made it so that I could never lead people because wait, I haven't conquered it, but it's actually the opposite. It's, you can only lead people from that place of not having gotten there because then I'm there with them and we are helping each other. And it's not this teacher, you know, knowing all the answers, giving them to the student. It's that is what true connection is. True connection isn't, you know, a a wise person sort of speaking down to the lowly. It's holding hands and being arm in arm and saying, neither of us us really knows how the heck to get there, but we're going to put our feet forward and, you know, and, and get there nonetheless. Exactly. So I think, yeah, sometimes I can advise them because yes, I, I got that one. I conquered that particular thing, but other times, you know, I'm like, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I have no idea how to handle that. I'm right there with you. I feel so much the same way when people, particularly on social media, people, um, think a certain thing of who you are or what your life looks like, or they think that you've got some things figured out. And maybe you do part of the time, you know, like part of the time I feel like, okay, I, I got it. But I'm like, I, I keep trying to convince people like, no, I, you know, 
largely, I have no idea. I'm I'm swinging around in the dark just like you are. You know, exactly. It's, it's, and, and the and I think that's is in taking the step each day, not in having it all. You know, answered. Right. Right. Because nobody has. I mean, anybody that's when I immediately my red flags go up is when I meet someone and they tell me they have all the answers. Now, now there are definitives. There are there are certain tenets that hold true that are universal things that when you're doing them, they work. But anybody who tells me they're doing that all of the time, you know, it's just I think it's the human existence that that we strive to be doing those things all the time. But, but inevitably there are, there are ebbs and flows. That's just, that's nature. Look at, look at the seasons, look at, you know, anything in nature, it's up and it's down. It's, it's, it's gushing or it's a drought. It's, you know, that's the way, that's the gig, you know, that's, that's, that's the world, I think. And, and I think we do our, our kids, to be honest, I mean, hey, to even go more more deeply as to society, you know, we do our kids a disservice because I don't think we share enough that life is, you know, one of my favorite words is bittersweet. And that really is the word of my life. You know, it's the bitter with the sweet. And that is what life is. It's not a fairy tale. It's not you know, perfection. It's not nirvana. Like all these words that I think as children, we believe, you know, we believe in the fairy tale. We believe in the knight in white, in the, the, the knight with white horse, who's going to, you know, prance on in and rescue us. And that everything, we believe that everything is supposed to be perfect. And when things don't go that way, I think we're totally thrown off guard. And we're almost like, wait, that wasn't how it was supposed to be and what I expected. And there's this expectation that everything is supposed to go smoothly. And it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, we are all going to, you know, have ups and downs, joys and despairs, losses and gains. And I wish, you know, I truly wish that we were better equipped to handle that. Yeah. Because I, I feel I like even... it surprises us. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, there's so many thoughts going through my head. One is the, the expectations that are placed upon kids nowadays, um, in, in every area. It's like, I just think back to my childhood and, so much of it was unscheduled, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and I played, I played sports. I did everything, but like, even that it was different than it is today for the kids today. Like everything is kind of seems formal and scheduled. Maybe that's not across the country, but maybe where I live, you know, no, it's, it's rampant in where I live. Yeah. Well, both, both coasts, I think have a tendency to do, to do that. And there's something great about it and there's something terrible about it. You know, there's some, the, the great thing is, um, you know, if you're going to learn about something, why not, you you know, why not learn from someone who really knows what they're doing? So you could be more efficient in learning how to do a certain sport or, or an instrument or whatever it is. There's something beautiful about that. And then there's also something to just like, you know, how I grew up, it's like there was a reservation across the street and we played manhunt and, you know, and we, and we rode our bikes a, a couple of miles to go get like a pack of gum from the Salem market. And, and like, there wasn't really 
as much of a play. It was a little more languid Mm -hmm. and it was a little more, you know, you meandered and you discovered things, but it wasn't so, uh, you know, it was a childhood. It was, it was like, it was discovery and it was innocent and it was, uh, I don't know, in some ways different, I think, than from at least what my children are experiencing with their childhood. Absolutely. That is one of the profound losses in society today, that childhood in what it should be and in all its magic has ceased to exist for most children. Yeah. And there's also, look, I I also think sometimes we can look at it and go, oh, it's all terrible now and it was great then. And we look back with nostalgia. I do also think there are benefits from some of the things that are going on today. I think it's a mixed bag, but I think to be aware of it and- and just be aware of the choices. You know, again, going back to acting, this is something whenever I'm talking to younger actors, I always say like, you want to get yourself, you know, we have these certain defaults. There are certain ways that our body is at resting. You know, my my body when it's resting is going to be different than someone else's. You know, there are certain um, there are certain values. There are certain viewpoints. Those are defaults that are specific to me and they're different for a different actor. And when you're acting, you almost want to know, at least know where, you know, a a fully white blank slate is. And then you can start to make choices about Mm -hmm. who that particular character is. And I think it's the same with this. It's like, at least be aware as a parent of the different ways you can go. Can you get coaching for your kid for a particular sport? Sure. But can you also like let your kid go you know, wander at the park and wander in the woods or, or, you know, play with figures and not know what they're doing. Yes. You could do both. You don't have to do one or the other, you know, there's value to both. I agree. That would be a good podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I sound really good when I'm in in a podcast, like put me, put me with my kids. I'm like, You know what I mean? It's well, it's so funny. We we yeah. It's just well, all of this. All, we're all there. Don't worry. You're not. You're definitely not alone in that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it, it, so here here we are. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm so I'm loving this conversation, and I'm laughing because I'm looking down at these. You know, I have like two full pages of questions, which I never really, I never really pay attention to the questions. Um, but I'm looking down and I'm almost thinking at some point, what we should do is have you, we could have you back to talk about the company and everything if you wanted to or not, or, or, or maybe you could just tell us, uh, one thing that came up for me as I'm listening to you speak and I'm, and I'm really hearing, as I said, this artist who happens to be, uh, you know, have a, a very successful business. What's the relationship? The, so the collaboration is with your husband. Is he more of a logistics guy or more of a business guy? And you're more the artist and the visionary or how does that work? How does that That's exactly it. You know, we always say that we are so fortunate because we are two halves of a circle. And I'm completely in one half and he's completely in the other. So he is definitely much more um, that business sense and making it all happen. And I'm much more the creative side. Yeah, that's that's what I suspect. And I don't know if you've ever read that Simon Sinek book, Start With Why, but he talks about um, a bunch, he talks a lot about Apple 
and mm-hmm. Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. He talks about Disney, Walt Disney and Roy, his brother, Roy Disney. And he talks about these, these companies that had a very strong why. They wanted to have an impact on the world. They had a very specific viewpoint and they were more than just what they were putting out. They were why they were putting it out. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of these cases, there were teams collaborative teams. And it was usually that way. Walt Disney was a visionary. Roy Disney was a logistics guy. Mm-hmm. You know, Steve Jobs was a visionary. Steve Wozniak was a logistics guy, you, you know, that yeah. in general, in general, right. you know, but that's so, so I'm not shocked to hear that. And you must just have a, a good melding of, of those strengths. I mean, I, I can't imagine, you know, I would, I would think like, doing that with your spouse, how do the lines between business and personal life get blurred or do you guys have a pretty, (laughs) okay, there's the answer. That's an understanding. Of course they get blurred. Yeah. This this is like a perfect little uh, circle here, but yes, I mean, I think, and, and I think, you know, Doug's unique because he's also a visionary. Um, He's like an incredible visionary and a dreamer and has all those great skills, but I'm really the one who takes the white space and turns it into the product. Um, but yes, I mean, we talk about business continually. I mean, it's, you know, we joke that it was our first child. So as we would talk about any of our children, we talk about our business because, you know, we find it fascinating. It's not that it's um, a noose around our neck. It's just we enjoy so many aspects of it so much that they just – you know, that's the time we get to, we get to brainstorm and analyze and figure out our next steps and all those things. Yeah. It's an extension of, of who you are. Now, are you, do you consider yourself, um, weak on the logistics side and the business side or just kind of average there? Or how do you, like, is there anything that you just, so some of our listeners feel, feel okay. So I feel okay about myself that you're not superior to me in every way. Are there anything, are there any areas where you feel like, oh, I'm not really great at this particular thing? Oh gosh. Are you really asking me that? Of course <laughs> I'm not, I'm not good at most everything. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm not good with planning. I'm all about instinct and intuition, and I hate structure. I mean, I hate to use the word hate, but I really hate structure. I hate being forced into a box. I hate being told what to do. Um, I can't stand planning and logistics. Um, I don't like anything that's structured. So that makes it so it would be really hard for me to do a lot of those other things. I love brainstorming in any area, um, you know, coming up with ideas, but all those other things like, and I can't stand quality and safety and having to be responsible for those, I should say. I mean, that's the hallmark of what our brand is, but would I ever be good at testing a product and, you know, figuring out the guidelines, which, which govern it. Oh my gosh, that would be, that would be horrible. A nightmare for you. Well, what's ironic though, about you saying that you hate structure. uh, I don't know if you would include discipline in their structure and discipline, but what's ironic is, you know, for you, you see it as, okay, it's kind of, it could be misleading for people because in a way you have incredible structure and discipline because you've told me how, what kind of output you've had with the poems and the songs and the toys, which tells me 
you are doing that every day. Now you may not, you may think it's just like, that's how you breathe, but so that just so the rest of the people okay, listening so understand, you, you know, you I are do doing like, it. I like creating form out of chaos myself, but I do not like others imposing on me yeah. a certain structure to follow. So I have to have structure. That is because my my inner being is full of chaos. I mean, that is what it is when you are um, existential. You know, yeah. it means that everything's in chaos. So my words, my my verses, my songs, my cre- my products, it's all forging form from chaos. So I need that order and discipline to live, but I don't like others' convention put right. on me. Right. So that's I guess more what, it. Yeah. No. And what I'm explaining, I guess, to people listening is like, hey, you know, just because Melissa saying she doesn't like structure and you don't have an image that she's just like, yeah, whenever I want to, I'm going to create this thing. No, because there, there is an, an extreme work ethic here. That is, I would say the structure for you is every day you are creating. You, you have kind of committed yourself to every day you are creating in some way, shape or form. But I have to be honest with you. It's been 100% organic. I don't ever force creation because then it's just not going to be good creation. So I think it goes in the direction it goes. And if for two months, you know, I don't have an idea, then I don't have an idea. Uh, You know, there's a long pipeline, thank goodness. So we're, we're many years behind having them all uh, turn into little sparks of light. But the truth is uh, it can't be, you know, it can't be forced. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is, which is kind of, um, I hate using the word interesting. I've found that I've been using it a lot, but yeah. I was going to say interesting <laughs> because you think of the book, uh, the, the war of art and you think of what, what most people will say is like the difference between the amateur and the pro is that the pro will show up even when instinct does not strike. Now I imagine you are a pro. I mean, even though you're saying what you're saying, you're still there willing to create. It, it, you know, you're you're waiting. I I don't know. I I, I wonder if I I'm just interpreting your no, life no, differently I, than you. I could do it pressured. It just wouldn't be as good. Yeah. You yeah. know, it wouldn't be. So yes, if someone said you have to create a line tomorrow and it has to, you know be for target and it has to look like this, I would do it. But I am such a purist when it comes to creation and purely authentic creation emanating from your soul. I mean, because that is who I am. And, you know, toys is just one. That's what I love about true creative people is they are creative at their soul and it doesn't matter what medium it is channeling into it is just there so meaning i never took a toy design class i never thought i would ever be creating toys ever um you know it just took that form uh and i think you know with so many creatives who work for me they not only make toys but they're artists and they're photographers and they're chefs and they do their musicians and actors and you know i think those are 
the people I just love to be around because they're not just creative in one discipline. They are creative in their being. Well, that's what I'm saying with you. It sounds like even if you're saying you don't have inspiration for two months, maybe with the toys, but in those two months, you've still written, you know, a hundred poems and and songs. That's what I'm saying. You're creating. It sounds to me like every day you wake up and somehow you create, maybe not every day, but most days. This morning I woke up and I had a poem in my head. And when I have them in my head, they're exactly the way I write them. Like I just wake up and it's there. So, and then sometimes it's not, sometimes I might go for two weeks and I won't hear a single note or word in my head. Um, And the weird thing is as mistrustful and insecure as I've been about every single thing in my life, about my ability to make friends or speak actual words or um, lead others or do well on a test. I have never, ever had a moment of angst about the creative process. Hmm. And I just have this weird faith that it will come. And if the answer doesn't come to me in that instant, that if I just let the experience and the sort of the knowledge distill through me over what could be weeks, months, the answer will come. And if it doesn't come, it wasn't meant to come. It wasn't meant to be. That well, yeah. that was going to be my next question was how can you, what can you give our listeners in terms of your creative process? And I think you just said it. It's it's faith and belief mm-hmm. and trust. And wh- so, and for people listening- so this they, is oh, what sorry. I say. Because I, I mentor a ton of entrepreneurs. I say, become as knowledgeable as you can about what you are doing. And I'm a firm believer in research. Whatever that form comes in, whether it's talking to your, your consumer, whether it's researching, you know, the the area since the beginning of time, whatever it is, going out in the, the market, um, really, really understand every single nuance of it and understand yourself and and what your core tenets are and then let that information distill through you like a beautiful breeze you know and let it waft through every ounce of your being and crevice within you and have faith that the answer will come and it will be the right answer and I think that's what I do. I just wait. Uh, and and I, I arm myself with the appropriate tools, you know, which is knowledge. And then I wait. And I think it either comes and it's like that literally, it's that light bulb, like, oh my gosh. And sometimes it's, it's usually not even what I'm thinking about it. It's, you know, m- weeks later when I'm just taking a walk and it's like, oh my gosh, that's the way we need to do it. And it's like, boom, instant. And it's, for me, the exact way to go. Uh, And sometimes that happens and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes, you know, and I have a a metaphor I use um, with my entrepreneurs. And it's basically that with any idea or process or something new, I am holding this little uh, 
infant spark in my hands at the front of a huge forest. And the forest is dense and there's no path through it. It's literally, and I'm standing at the beginning of it looking, I can't see even a bit of light through it. But I know on the other side of the forest are waiting millions and millions of consumers with their arms open, their their wallets open, waiting to welcome my product and purchase it if I can find my way through the forest and get to them. So I'm sitting there with this spark and I have to find my way, my path through the trees. Sometimes I can do that, you know, and that's, that's what's intoxicating for me is can I find the pathway through the trees? So that process is my entire creative process. It's all the knowledge, it's understanding, it's the, you know, the, the whole, uh, innovation process? And will the answer become clear? How do I get this spark to a product that people want to purchase? Um, If I can find that path, sometimes it's really easy. It's like, boom, 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 got it, done. And I, I, the trees open, it's almost like some Bible story, the trees open, and I run through racing, and people are clamoring and cheering, and I (laughs) hand them my product, and it's off to the races. Other times, you know, a month later, 10 months later, years later, I'm still like sitting at the edge of the forest like, damn, I can't get through. There's yeah. the path hasn't opened and that spark just literally disappears. So, um, but I have tremendous faith in that uh, because I do believe that we all in us, and this is what I've been communicating to the women I met through the podcast, we all within us have the answer. That answer gets drowned out every single day by society and by our own heads, which tell us it's wrong. But the truth is every single person has their own like board of directors within them who has the best answer that they can be given to any question. They just have to take the time and give themselves the permission and space to answer it. That's beautiful. I'm writing this down because Aww. that is amazing. I've been writing so many things down. Thank you. Um, you're like, uh, I, I can't keep up with it, uh, with how many things you've said that are so profound. So Aww, what about, you. Y'all, no, you're welcome. Thank you. I, 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 a question for you. Uh, logistically, going from your head to the page, whether it's to the poem, to the to the song, to the toy, do you have a um, a tough time, or do you have a process of going like, let's say you said the other day, you said you woke up and you had a poem this morning. Now, sometimes I'll wake up, I'll have a dream, and I go boom, and by the time I get to whether it's my phone to record a voice memo or whatever, I've lost. A lot of times, I can I can hold the general gist of it. But a lot of times I lose the thread of inspiration or I lose the thing that was really exciting me. Do you have a specific way that you do it? Do you set yourself up like with a, with a a pad next to your bed? Do you, what, what, how do you do that? That's a great, so one of my favorite poems I wrote when I was a little kid was a tune today played in my head. Yet when I turned, it quickly fled. Now struggle I to somehow find what ran so sweetly through my mind. Yet resolution to recall yields not a single strain at all. And grief for this lost melody will never cease to chastise me. 
You are because like a rain man. What is uh, you, this? You wrote that as a kid. Oh I my did. god! You're ama- you're blowing me away. Constantly um, have these strains of incredible. What I thought were like, and I would just lose them yeah. every single moment, and then they were gone, and I would be like all day. I'd be like, "What was that?" And I'd sit at a piano, and I was like, "It's gone." And um, it's kind of that metaphor, like when you're at the beach and you find that perfect shell and you reach down to pick it up and the wave just sneaks right under your fingers and takes it back out to sea. And like for a moment, you're just left in this, no, like that was the most beautiful gift from, you know, the the sea ever and it's gone. But, um, you know, again, that's life. And I think I when I wake up, so if I wake up in the middle of the night, I have to write it down because the second I go back to sleep, it'll be gone. But the problem, if I write it down, then I'm up because I'm yeah. a head person. And yeah. it's like the minute I start thinking, I'm, I'm gone with sleeping. Yeah. So, um, but I do have to write it down immediately. And that's what I did. And I think. Do you write uh, it down in the dark and just kind of scribble on a, in a journal? Oh, yeah. Or do you so actually for- turn the light on and get up fully? Uh, for years, I scribbled on my skin, on the walls, on toilet paper, any single scrap. I mean, I write about this, anything I could find, because you never know when that, you know, that verse will hit you. I'm making um, a movie about you. Um, <laughs> this is awesome. Go you. on. Go on. Um, but, uh, and I would put them under my mattress and because I didn't want anyone to see them, these little scraps of toilet paper. And years <laughs> later, because again, these things were like incessant gnats biting at me. They weren't something I felt. I mean, all this creation, I never once thought was a good thing. I literally felt like it was a a pebble in my shoe that I couldn't get out and that I needed to write it down just to get it out of my head. But the second it was out of my head, I wanted to throw it away and I wanted it gone. I never wanted to see it again. And I never did see it again. I mean, I kept all these things locked away and really just pulled them out maybe a few years ago. Um, when I started to, again, start to understand that, huh, maybe all this despair in me, there's some positive side to it. And maybe they're trying to make sense of feelings that others might have as well. Well, what's so cool about it is that you have this material that dates back to your childhood. So it's almost like a Melissa Bernstein museum in a way that we can we can go see what you were thinking at different points in your life because you've documented it and yeah. and crystallized it in these in these poems that will reflect where you were at that particular time. It's really fascinating to me. It's totally and, and the fascinating. one other thing that was one of the reasons I never shared it is because in truth, it's really, really simple the way I write. And I always believed that true intellectuals would never and I and I had an instance where true intellectuals thought it was not erudite enough. Screw the true intellectuals. Screw them. <laughs> and I was rejected, if you want to hear a no, very early on um, by a professional who said that my poetry was sophomoric. And when I looked up that word, because I had never heard it before, I believe the, the, the synonyms were half-witted, moronic, stupid, silly, inane, and basically was not worthy of real intellect. 
Was he, was that person even a writer or was that person a critic? So early on in our careers, we had a, a big issue in our company and Doug and I decided to quit and that we would uh, stop our toy business and we would go back to school and get advanced degrees. He wanted to be a university president and I would be a writer and I would go back for a advanced degree in creative writing. So Living in Connecticut and being totally in debt, the only place we thought to apply to was the University of Connecticut, which was right in our backyard. And Doug could get an RA position there and we actually wouldn't even have to pay for housing. So even though the University of Connecticut's program was not ranked and it was not, in my uh, very elitist opinion, a great you know writing program, um, I applied there and had to send a huge body of work um, and sent it to the head of the department and got very uh, swiftly rejected. And told he was the that, one who called it sophomore? Yep. And he wrote that okay. your, your poetry is truly sophomoric and not worthy of our program. Okay. Here, I want to pause you for a second and I want to <laughs> speak to people because this pisses me off. And if you're listening right now, here's what you got to know. People like that. I'd love to know where that guy is I right would now. Too. I'd love I to read that guy's. Yeah. I was 24 or 25 years yeah, old. And yeah. And, and he's it a, stung me for the next, it still yeah. does today. Listen, if you're listening, okay, there's a quote. I, I've done a couple of, uh, I've done these speeches on on perseverance. And one of the, I had this quote when I was uh, in high school. I, I wanted to call this girl and I was too shy to do it. And my dad gave me the Teddy Roosevelt quote, which I wrote down and I put it on a piece of paper. I folded it up and I put it in my pocket and I literally had it in my wallet for like years. I'm sure you know it, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I, I want people to hear it because it pisses me off to hear a story like that where some you know, bullshit administrator <laughs> tells a young kid who's hungry and who's actually written, like you've actually written all this stuff. You have volumes of writing and he's got the balls to tell you that your stuff is sophomore. It, yeah. it, it's like, I'd love to see what he's written. So it's, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out where the strong man stumbles or how the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the mm -hmm. arena, whose face is marred by sweat and dust and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in worthy cause, who at the best, uh, if he wins, knows the triumph of high achievement. And if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly so that those so that his soul shall never be with those, uh, so that he shall never be with those timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Oh, and I butchered it I a little bit. I know why you're an but, actor, though. You speak so beautifully. Oh, thank you. That that just that seared into my brain, and I, I, I butchered that. it a little bit. But that's the point. That that is like, it, it's so huge for anyone who's listening right now. To ju just listen to what this woman has just said, what she's accomplished in her life, what she has, the prolific, the material that she's put out that people haven't even seen. And this guy, luckily, he didn't snuff it out, but he almost snuffed out the fire with yeah, a little no, snide remark. To be honest with you, I didn't write for the next 20 years. But the, the really fascinating part of this story is 
the philosophy with which those poems, and I couldn't even call them poems because I felt like after that they weren't poems. They were just like Hallmark card verses that I wasn't even, it wasn't even worthy of calling poetry because it wasn't poetry. It was just some rhyme that I created. That was how much that um, rejection stung me. But the really fascinating part of this is, you know, the, the, the way in which those came out were these really complex thoughts that I couldn't handle that that hit me from the moment I was born, trying to simplify them so I could understand them. So it was taking this crazy complexity and simplifying it so that a regular person like myself, who was a child when I started writing these, could understand it. Like I'd make sense of all that craziness. That very philosophy was the exact philosophy I've used in creating the toys. Because toys, when we started, were so complex and overdone and sort of massed in bells and whistles and contrived licenses and all kinds of complicated packaging that masked their true beauty and the ability to connect with kids and just be an incredibly impactful and creative experience. So... That same philosophy was channeled into the toys. And because those toys weren't reviewed by a person from above, they went directly into the hands of the recipient. Because that's what I realized. Like, my poetry never made it into the hands of my consumer. It was evaluated by some, you know, intellectual yeah. who really wasn't my audience at all. But and I had I felt so angry about it. In fact, I wrote a poem that day that he rejected me. That's one of my my um, my most meaningful poems. And it's my words stand proudly unadorned souls bared for all to see not hopelessly enshrouded in contrived obscurity, tempted not by pomp or pretense, no intention to confound humbly voice, no lesser essence through simplicity of sound. So wow. it was like I was saying to him, you know, you can mask it in whatever blanking stuff you want to mask it in, but mine is going to be just as powerful in its simplicity. Yeah. Although I didn't really believe it, but I wanted to say, you know, I, I, it has to be true. So anyway, you well, know, I want actors although, to young actors to hear that, especially and anybody in any field, really. But I think about it with actors. There are so many gatekeepers that are keeping you from getting jobs that you you may be more than qualified. And part of it is just there's there's so much competition. But you need to go back to the source. You need to go. You need to go back to, and, and, and you know, what's happening now is, is uh, with social media that's actually kind of a, a benefit from this is you look at someone like The Rock, he's got right. 110 million followers. What I love about him is that he has bypassed exactly. the studio system. He is just like, hey, where's my audience? Who are the people that are buying my tickets? And a lot of people are doing this now. He's going, those are the people that I care about. I don't care yep. about, and then once you do that, all of a sudden, the studios are like, oh, The Rock, uh, do you want to be yeah. in our Warner Brothers you know, look, or Universal? The same thing happened with our toys, yeah. by the way. We don't win the coveted awards because our toys are much too simple, yeah. you know, but we, we've sold nearly a billion toys. Um, 
because the kids are the only ones we care and who speak the loudest, the loudest yeah. to us. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, we, 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 I know that now. And I think, um, you know, I'm saddened though, when I think about it, because, you know, he, he really, uh, you know, I, I get emotional about it today. You know, those words really, really stung. Well, here's the good, the good news. You, it's a part of your journey and, while it stung and while it in certain ways cost you 20 years of your life of not writing, in a certain way, it's why you're as powerful as you are right now. It, it all contributes to your journey as, as all of these experiences contribute to our, our own journeys, the good and the bad. And so you can actually thank him for oh, doing yeah. that. And uh, maybe we could get his name. And we could send him letters. I know. I would <laughs> send love him postcards. Unfortunately, I don't. I think I probably ripped it up and yeah. threw it. But I would love. Well, oh my gosh! I, no, I you know what? So that guy did you a favor, man. That guy did you a favor because guess what? You guess what? You won. You know. And yeah. Hey. And, yeah. You know what? Yeah. I mean, I think I ultimately. I I didn't let him or anyone else sort of. And and the truth is, you know, I I didn't. I didn't allow them to see the light either. So I was yeah. as punishing as he was. Yeah, exactly. We are our own worst critics, you know, exactly. we, as much and we could blame it on other people, but maybe that just, you know, maybe the reason I'm getting so mad, actually, you know, just to kind of psychoanalyze myself, I'm getting so <laughs> mad at this, this guy who, who thwarted you because there's something in me. There's a voice within myself that has shut me down and it's, and, and I keep blaming it on these critics, you know, yep. out there, but really the, the, the biggest hangups in my life, yeah, are are the inner critic yeah. it, who has kept me from doing all the things that I feel that I should do and will do and y- up until now have not done. Um, I cannot thank you enough. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm, I'm, I mean, first of all, I could go on with you for about 10 more hours. Well, I think I'm either- you. Oh, you're awesome. I mean, you are- Awesome. I we're I think I may even like break this into two episodes. I want to have you back. I think you're incredible. Thank we didn't even you. talk about the business. Anybody listening, Melissa and Doug, the company, the toy company doesn't need my two cents to help them. It sounds like they're doing just fine. But if you're going to get a toy for, you know, a nephew or niece or your kids or cousins or whatever, uh, consider Melissa and Doug. I mean, just listen to Melissa. She's incredible. How do you not want to support that oh, energy? And th- look, I'll get you at least two more customers, I promise. <laughs> And, Thank you. and you, That's- you are so awesome. You're so courageous and articulate. And I really feel so fortunate. I got, I got to have a shout out to, is it Michelle Locke? Is that how yes. you say her last name? She yes. is the one who contacted me after hearing me on another podcast and wanted to have me on her radio show and then suggested you as a guest. And I'm so, 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 so grateful that she connected us because you are really, really inspiring. This entire time, I have been so nervous that like my computer was going to give out or the connection was going to go because I'm like, this is gold to me. So thank you. you Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, by giving me a channel to say things I've really never said before, you have helped me immeasurably. And uh, if I can, through your amazing venue, help anyone else, um, that will be an, an amazing gift you can give me. 
Well, yeah, I thank you. I, I don't want to even be thanked. Uh, as I will say you're welcome. I'll, I'll accept it, but thank you. And where can people, if people do want to contact you or follow you somehow, how do they do that? I mean, they can contact me directly at Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A, at Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A, and A-N-D-D-O-U-G.com. Okay, that Melissa at MelissaAndDoug.com. Email address. That's pretty brave of you. You're going to get hey, like 10,000 emails. You know what? That would be incredible. I will respond to each one. Oh, thank, thank you so, so much for being here. This is amazing. Thank you. I am beaming a mile wide. So thank you for um, helping me to express something that's been so difficult to express. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for your courage. Okay. I really loved that conversation. I hope you did too. Again, it's hard for me to boil this all down to just a few takeaways, but here are some of the top ones for me. One, nothing is out of reach. The fact that Melissa was listening to a popular podcast with no ties to it and just reached out and somehow was able to get on as a guest. Now, granted, she's a very high achiever, so maybe it doesn't sound unbelievable to you that he'd take her on, but how many more opportunities would you have if you removed your own self-limiting beliefs and just made the ask, even if it seemed nuts? Two, if you have something that's been eating away at you for a long time, maybe months, years, even decades, you owe it to yourself to act on it in some way. It's not going to go away. So you're either going to take it to your deathbed with you, or you're going to take the risk of falling on your face in a big way with the possibility of making a big leap in your life, as Melissa turned out to do. Three, if you are governed by your own sense of what's right or what you need to do, regardless of the opinions of those around you, at the very least, you'll be able to live with yourself. Now, it turned out well in this case for Melissa, as she seemed to strike a chord with so many other people in a similar situation. But even if it didn't, if she was ostracized or even lost some business as a result of opening up, would that be the worst thing? I don't know. That's for each person to decide for themselves. But living with success, in quotes, might feel more like living in prison if it's at the cost of having to lie your way through every moment of every day. That's it. Those are my takeaways. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what hit for you. Email me at info at 10,000nos.com and let me know. I, I'd much rather this whole podcast be a roundtable discussion with your participation than me just sitting on the mic giving you only my thoughts and reactions. Now, one caveat before I go. If This is to number three. If your own sense of what's right, regardless of the opinions around you, involves you harming yourself in some way, that I don't condone. If your loved ones are trying to help you or save you from harming yourself, I prefer you listen to them first, get to a safe place, and then start following your own guidance once you're well. Okay, we'll see you next week. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks again for listening to 10,000 Knows. We realize there are tons of great podcasts out there, and we truly appreciate you sitting down with us. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so on the Apple Podcasts app for iTunes or on Spotify. If you like what you heard today, we'd love it if you took a minute to give us a five-star rating and a short review, as well as just telling your friends and family about us. We aim to give you the best free content possible, so if you have suggestions, requests, comments, anything... 
please email us at info at 10,000nos.com. That's info at 10000nos.com to let us know what would make your listening experience better. See you next week.